Welcome to Biohack Your Beauty. I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp, and I'm here to help you find the most powerful beauty biohacks, nutrition principles, lifestyle habits, and spiritual practices for optimal well-being. My podcast offers tools to help you discover how to exude inner and outer beauty, how to design a life of deep sensuality, joyful relationships, divine adventures, and freedom from disease. But most of all, I created this podcast to join you in co-creating a better world by standing in our own power and emanating our own authentic beauty. Let's biohack the mind, body, and soul, and let's do it together. Born in LA and brewed in New York City, movement, holistic health, and the arts have been at the forefront of Arana Leah's healing journey. Inspired by 20 plus years of yoga, 12 years as a yoga teacher and wellness advisor, a BFA in photography and mixed media arts, and a love of writing and globe trotting, she's deeply inspired to share her growth and tools with others. Her classes combine various yoga and meditation disciplines where she invites you to safely explore your edge and enliven the wisdom of your senses. She's the author and co-creator of The Moon Deck, an intuitive oracle deck filled with inspired offerings to stoke the powers of intention and ritual. Arana teaches public yoga classes, facilitates global adventure yoga retreats, leads empowering women's workshops, and mentors new yoga teachers and offers private coaching. She's been featured in the New York Times, Self Magazine, National Geographic, Traveler UK, Teach Yoga, The Weather Channel, Wall Street Journal, Times of India, The Cover of Fit Yoga, NBC, and Elephant Journal. Something else about Arana is that she creates altars wherever she goes, considers her crystals and stones her wise friends, and is reminded to trust when she finds a feather on her path. Her oracle deck, the moon deck, is probably one of the most beautiful and sacred decks that I know of. In our interview, Arana talks about her experiences with an eating disorder and how ritual was essential in helping her in her recovery. We talk about connecting to our intuition, about the magical powers that yoga holds, and how self-discovery is a constant journey and a vital component of self-love. Arana also gives us a powerful reading from her very own moon deck, a reading for all of you, so you will want to listen to the very end of the show. Today's show has been brought to you by one of the most amazing technologies that is out there to help your body regenerate your cells. Biophoton Services provides a revolutionary approach to how the body is healed. It's a holistic method that addresses the physical, mental, and emotional elements of well-being. Biophoton Services utilizes an advanced biophoton resonance filter that is able to recalibrate the body's own light emissions, also known as biophotons, that govern the health of each cell. And this process is done by measuring the meridians on the hands and toes, looking for disturbances correlated to the organ. Chaotic light, known as blockages, can be neutralized and coherent light amplified, ultimately restoring the foundations of the client's health so they regain the capacity of self-healing. And in today's world, we are exposed to many forms of toxicity, including environmental pollutants such as GMOs, chemicals, heavy metals, and electromagnetic radiation that inhibit the body's immune system to self-govern and communicate. 
and biophoton therapy is non-invasive and it regenerates healthy cells from the inside out. You can find out more at biophotonservices.com. The link will be in the show notes. All right, I know you are incredibly ready for this amazing episode. I know you will enjoy it. I had such a great time interviewing Arana. So without further ado, Arana Leah. Welcome to the show, Arana Leah. Thank you, Dora. I'm so excited you're here. You've been on quite a spiritual journey in this lifetime, and you were raised with many different spiritual backgrounds. So what was that like? Um, Well, thank you, first of all, for having me here. It's a huge honor to share with you and and to share with with people who will be listening. Um, So yeah, I had, I moved a lot growing up. There's a lot of movement in general, I would say in my life growing up. And that includes the spiritual paths. And I, um, my, I was, my parents split when I was young, about four. And so I, I experienced sort of two different worlds with them. And my father, I was raised Jewish by my father and my mom, I would visit uh, a lot throughout the year. And she was raised Jehovah witness, but became a Buddhist but we would celebrate Christmas wow. and um, just because it was like Christmas break from school and it was something festive to celebrate. So we would do the whole Christmas thing with her, the Jewish thing with my dad. And then I would also go with her to her Buddhist meetings um, and, and, and learn chanting. And I was pretty young then. And then she also was a lot into um, NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and I would sit in seminars. So I was exposed to a lot and Um, she was also pretty mystical in a lot of ways, um, and spiritual in her own way. So that side of me that naturally leaned into that at a really young age was definitely nurtured by her. And then I got the sort of consistency and maybe more sort of normalcy foundation from my father and, you know, the, the, the more, uh, yeah, consistent, consistency with my mom is a little more all over the place. So, Yeah. And then at a very young age, I think I was probably in uh, sixth grade, an old friend of mine and I got really into Wicca at a young age. And I think she exposed it to me. And I just thought it was so cool. And we would get into the languages and the letters and try to cast our own little spells. And it was very naive at the time. I really just looked at it as, I guess when you're a kid, it's like you're fascinated by something and you dive into it and explore what it is. I didn't really have any kind of compartment for it of what it, if it was good or bad or what it was. Um, and also when I was little, I had a deep curiosity for my relationship to God and spirituality, certainly influenced by the different religions that were around me. But I think a lot of it felt just very in, in, innate within me. And I would even sleep at friends' houses just to see what they did on Sunday morning and where they went. And it was everything from that to being the first to jump up, honestly, to go to a haunted house or go explore a cemetery. It was kind of the whole range. I had a big fascination for, for magic, otherworldliness, spirituality. Um, I grew up with, there was a lot of chaos and noise growing up in a lot of ways. And so I think in some ways it was also a way for me to find my reprieve, to feel protected, to feel like I could have a conversation with an energy or a force that felt protective and uh that I could relate to and that happened at a young age as well so it was pretty layered I feel like it's something that's always been with me it's not something that I 
discovered later in life. I've rediscovered many aspects of it later in life. I've deepened some of it. I've moved far away from some of it that I used to be, you know, it's kind of been a dance, but I would say that the, the thread of feeling connected to source, to something bigger than me, to the protective and directive energy that I feel I can have in my relationship to spirit has always been with me. And it's definitely been shaped in various ways. And religion was cool. I think I got something out of it, but I didn't feel particularly attached to any of them. I think it was overall just that relationship to God that I felt connected to. And when I was 19, I found yoga and that's, I started practicing then. And I think that's when it kind of all clicked where all these aspects and influences made sense to me and became something that I can embody in a different way. And at that time, I was experiencing a depression and probably for the first time, or at least conscious, maybe not the first time, but it was, I was consciously like, oh, I'm depressed. I, it, I was old enough maybe to realize that I didn't feel normal at that moment or that I was a bit overwhelmed with life and it manifested in the form of depression. And then when I found yoga, which was uh, shown to me by my older brother, Sean, at the time, I uh, would come back. I grew up in LA and at the time I was in school in Connecticut. So I'd come back to LA for the summer and he was practicing with Guru Singh, who's a Kundalini teacher in yes. Los Angeles, very old school. And that was my first exposure to it besides the sort of stretching yoga stuff that I was doing intuitively on my own. I always loved to dance and move. Um, yeah. And I think when I took those classes, it really shifted everything for me. I saw things differently for the first time. I realized that I had a choice to think differently, to make different choices, to embody myself and shift my energy as a result. That was all, I wouldn't say it was new to me, but it was definitely enhanced and remembered in a way that I hadn't experienced maybe, you know, entering adulthood. I was only 19 at the time. And then when I went back to Connecticut, which is where I went to college, I um, just did whatever was there. There was no kundalini. It was an ashtanga, hatha kind of fusion. And then that sort of continued my yoga journey at the time. So yeah, it's infused with a lot. And it's kind of a little bit of magic, a little bit of, I don't know if religion is the right word, but that exploration of the various ways to have relationship with spirit. And then the embodiment piece and yogic piece, which really has been my path ever since and also has taken on a lot of forms. Can you a little elaborate a little bit on how yoga and spirituality go together? Because I think a lot of people, their experience with yoga is not necessarily spiritual. They go to the gym or they go to a yoga class, and but it's not really something that they might feel is like a spiritual thing for them. How, how are those two connected? I think that yoga has changed. The climate, the, the landscape of yoga has shifted quite a bit from when I was practicing. That was 22 years ago at this point almost. And so I think that's one thing. I think yoga has become very physical. I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. That's probably a, a whole nother conversation. <laughs> and there's those of us out there that are trying to keep the deeper seed and lineage of yoga in place because back in the day, you know, you had to earn even to be a sub. You know, it was a, it was a, and something you earned from your teacher. And that's not, it's not like that anymore. However, I feel that spirituality can be defined in a lot of different ways. And I feel that more than anything, spirituality is a willingness to grow. And if we have that deep 
desire and willingness to grow. It doesn't mean it has to be perfect, but if we have that willingness to grow and evolve and remain curious through the trials of life, through the ups and downs of life, and we choose to move through that with that willingness to grow, with that willingness to look at ourselves honestly and deeply, that that is a spiritual practice and to me. And people can call it what they want, but if more of the people on the planet were doing that, I would definitely say we'd have a healthier and certainly more soulful planet. And I feel like we're a little soul sick as a planet right now because of that lack of true embodiment. And so yoga is this practice of embodiment. We drop into our body. We start to acknowledge our senses in a new way. We take ownership and and have gratitude for this vessel, this home that we live in, that is the house of our spirit or whatever someone wants to call it, that we get to flow through life through and experience our senses through. And it's always evolving. And and when we're done evolving, we'll die. And and until then, there's a lot to learn and we can choose how we use that information. And for yoga, with yoga, it's, it's this opportunity to finally slow down a little from life, get on your mat, turn off the brain. You know, it's nice even to be told what to do for 90 minutes and just like turn that part off, turn the intellect off, or at least the intellect might be there, but it's just sort of coming through passing by and the body's always that, you know, and then suddenly you're on one leg and breathing and the focus comes back to, to the room. So it's a practice of presence and when we practice that presence, it, it, it enhances us, it expands us into, into our, our truth or our potential or just, just into the moment, even if it's not about potential, quote unquote. I mean, it's just, just to be here right now, it's not good or it's not bad, what's happening in our life and can I soften enough while building strength in my body? Uh, you know, yoga is so much about grounding down as you lengthen up inhaling as you exhale there's this polarity and duality and when we kind of surf those waves with uh a willingness and a presence which will come in and out of presence in a single practice and that's fine but when we can ride that i think it's just even if someone gets a glimpse a moment of that presence or a moment of peace uh, or a moment of experiencing their full strength in their body like that moment starts to add up and those little moments keep adding up over the course of a practice. Uh, you know, it's like I use the metaphor of stringing a, a necklace of, of pearls or a, a mala necklace, like one bead at a time. You just keep collecting these moments until it becomes more natural, until it becomes a home base, until it becomes a deep enough experience that someone knows that they have the choice to return to that, that center. It's a way to um, collect ourselves, to come back home to ourselves, to find our center of gravity again, because we get pulled by so many other people's gravity, gravitational pull, whether that's the different roles we play in a life, you know, the, you know, we're a friend, a mother, a partner, a teacher, like all the different roles we might have to play. It's different for everyone. Uh, Caring what people think about us and like unpacking and unlearning that habit. Like we're just getting pulled all the time. And so it's a way to come back to our center of gravity so that we can, do that inner work that will help us be held accountable for our growth, which again comes back to that spiritual practice and, and just want to do better each time. And it's a, it's not a practice of perfection. It's a, it's just a practice of just how sincere can we come to that practice and it will ebb and flow. And I've had times in my practice when I didn't show up for a long time for various reasons. And and I'm happy to get into that as well. 
but um, but it's kind of always there for you. That <laughs> yoga, I really feel like it's so complementary to every stage of life, every age, any other physical practice you might have if you're a runner or whatever. That it just complements everything, and there's always a way to practice yoga whether you know no matter what i mean even if you have an injury and you can't get on the mat there's pranayama there's the breath there's meditation there's uh just how you're showing up in relationship to the world around you as part of yoga the asana practice is one small part of yoga and mm-hmm. i think that's maybe where when you're like it's in gyms now and it's like it's great like whatever gets anyone in the door is fine by me just get them in there because eventually if they stick with it it will start to evolve in the way that it needs to for the individual um but Ultimately, it's it's a branch of the practice, and the more the deeper you go in, the more it starts to influence your entire lifestyle, your perception, taking responsibility for how you move through the world, how you speak to yourself, how you speak to others. And again, it's you know, I'm still learning that all the time. It's not done yet. And you mentioned that you haven't shown up for yourself in some points in your life and so you had that ebb and flow yourself so do you want to elaborate on that a little bit sure yeah I I think I think part of the practice is like coming into it and then leaving and coming back and you know I think a lot of people have danced with that I certainly have I feel right now I feel in a great place with my practices it doesn't look the way it used to it's for me not about getting on the mat every day it's very much about uh I'm really into 30-day rituals and 40-day rituals and I meditate every single morning no matter what and that's kind of the the bulk of my practice and then I'll get to classes and go on hikes and go for you know do the other things that I love to do dance times in my life where I you know when I when I was just saying that a second ago I was mostly referring to a time in my life where I was struggling quite a lot with being in my body and really wanting to be anonymous and not going to not wanting to be around people and that was when I was uh really looking more honestly for the first time at my struggle with bulimia. And that was something I dealt with starting in eighth grade. I'm sure there was hints of it before that, but it really started in eighth grade. Um, definitely moved out through high school, went through college and it kind of ebbed and flowed, kind of go away and it would come back with a vengeance and then it would go away and it would come back. And also at that time I was sincerely interested in, in holistic living and became a vegetarian and, uh, I'm not anymore, but I've, I've been everything under the sun, all the diets. And now I just, I work very seasonally. I work with location. I work with my body's at, and that feels the best now. But at the time I was had this sincere dive into a healthier lifestyle. And so that got muddled with the eating disorder. And so I would kind of get, you know, quote unquote back on track. And then it would just sort of hit me really hard again. And so I went through that cycle for quite a while and it was very painful. And I, yeah, it's just my self-worth, my is body dysmorphia, uh, just so in my head. And I mean, that's just how addiction works. And so I went through the uh, ebbs and flows of that. And then when I moved to New York uh, 18 years ago, I had gone to, in, I, I have a BFA in photography. So I was doing photography a lot for a long time. I went to India to shoot this documentary in 2000. I moved to New York to complete that project and it hit me really hard then like how bad of a place I was in and I went to my first 12-step meeting invited by a friend I hated it I left I was never going to go back and then I went again and somehow it stuck that time and it just cracked me open to 
really look at this and get help and have an open conversation with people who got it where I wasn't speaking this foreign language. I was like, oh my gosh, it's like a room full of people who, who get what I deal with. And so during that time is when I stepped, I was really heavy in my yoga practice, but the more meetings I was going to and the more I was sort of doing this other work, which was hard, I was getting help, but it was not an easy time for me. I was still struggling. Um, that's when I think I kind of, for about a year, I just didn't practice. I couldn't, I didn't want to go to the studio. I didn't want people to see me. It was totally irrational on one hand, you know, the mind tricks in a state like that, but it was also, uh, probably necessary. You know, I don't, maybe it was a protective measure. Maybe it was just where my energy needed to be. It was a shift of focus in my well being. So I guess, you know, I was still showing up with self care, but in a very different way and in a way that was heavy. And so just, I didn't want to be practicing at the time. Uh, maybe I had some shame, I also, like I said, just kind of just, I didn't want to like, I just was in my own bubble and needed to be there for that time of healing. And, uh, yeah, and it was, it was a death, it was a, it was an intense time. And I, it's, you know, if this can help anyone listening, it, it does get better if you work on it. And that was many, many years ago for me at this point, but at the time I, I did not see an end to it. And now I, my relationship with food and my body is so healthy and, you know, I don't think that you have to forever be in recovery when, you know, that's some language it's like, oh, you're just, the disease is the disease. And you're forever in recovery. I think you can be recovered. And, and sure, that inner chatter might shift to other things. Um, but these are, this is where the meditation and the, the commitment to ritual and all of these things, this is why I made the moon deck, you know, it's just like these rituals matter. This showing up for yourself matters and how you do that can be, you know, customized accordingly. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, and I, for me, my relationship to spirit was, I mean, there's times where I was brought to my knees, like asking for help and just being willing to ask for help and being willing to receive that support. And I think, especially in today's day and age where thankfully, but we have a long ways to go that mental health and emotional health is starting to be talked about more. Uh, you know, suicide, these kinds of things are, are very real. It's not just the crazy people that have it, quote unquote, you know, it's, it's people we know, it's people we love, it's people you wouldn't expect. So that's also part of my goal with the deck and this work in general is, is helping to dissolve that stigma around it and know that there is support and there are ways that don't have to be super daunting to, you know, help bring some balance to our system. When you talk about now you have a healthier relationship with food and, you know, that addiction piece has definitely shifted at least for you and healed on some levels. Do you feel like the rituals and the yoga practice were those kind of the components that helped you move through that? Or do you feel like that 12 step program was also really a huge part of that healing process? I would say all of it really combined. It's, I feel like one doesn't go without the other at this point, you know, in retrospect. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, when I first discovered yoga for myself at 19, I said I was kind of dealing with a depression and that totally shook me out. It like, just took me by the shoulders, like, wake up, you know, like this, <laughs> you can shift this. And, and that was amazing. And I still maybe dealt with that up and down, but it just gave me another tool that I very much resonated with. And so that was, even though I kind of dipped out of that for that year when I got very serious about 12 step, 
might have even been longer. I'm not sure. Uh, it was still a part of me. I just, I think yoga is such a language and a lifestyle. That's what I mean. It's like, it's like the asana practice where we build strength and flexibility and clear out the junk and clear out the static and sweat it out so that we can actually sit still with ourselves is a piece and an important piece, but it's just so much bigger than that. So the rituals, you know, I had this conversation with someone a little while ago when we were talking about addiction and, and eating disorders and these various things that, you know, I think different people struggle with to different levels, uh, but it's not just substance or eating disorders. It's like being addicted to certain emotions, being addicted to being a victim. Like there's so many ways that this chemical thing happens in our body and rich and it's ritualistic. It's, it's not healthy. It's a little crazy, but it's super ritualistic. And bulimia was, was ritualistic for me and it was very cyclical. And, and so it was just finding new rituals that helped me replace that. It wasn't like, I got to stop this and just like sit here and numb out. It's just like, let me just start adding a couple things that resonate and keep doing that until they sort of naturally start to push out the other stuff. And it took years. It took a lot of help. It took uh, a lot of willingness. Um, I have a very, very deep <laughs> urge to, to, to grow and heal. And I always have, and I've had to, and I always say like all this work was done because of survival and then it became a passion and then it became my profession. And I do believe in self-discovery and healing and, you know, healing the wounds and then offering that back in the form of our art or our medicine or our words or our support to our community or however it looks. I, I believe in that big time. And that's going to look very different to people. And, and I've even like kind of <laughs> lately, I, I'm always trying to find new ways to work with the words around self-love and, you know, uh, self-discovery. It's like all these like very buzzwords that the more they get used, the sort of less meaning they carry sometimes to the general public and and I'm always trying to find new ways to say that because it is valuable it's so important but it can be self-absorbed or it can be you know it's like how much do we go in before we step back out and I'm discovering that self-love isn't so much about self-absorption it can fall into that and that's where the accountability piece comes in but it's really about self-discovery and then we get to take this time to discover who we are to discover our formula, to live our best life, because I want to be more available to the world. Not just, I'm not like, I just want to be happy. So I'm happy. It's like, I want to feel better and more available and fueled by these things so that I can be more on my mission, whatever that looks like and feel more whole and at home in my body. So I can take advantage of the privilege of this life and, and, and give back in different ways. And I'm always still discovering what that means, then I'm sure that'll keep evolving. Um, because there's a fine line, I think, when it comes to the self-help world and all of this work, it's, we have to sometimes take that deep dive, especially if there's like real trauma we're going through and, and make it very personal. And then at some point, and that can take years for some of us at some point, then how do we bring that back out? I think that's a really important key piece. Yeah. People have a hard time knowing the balance between feeling their feelings and identifying their emotions and reflecting on why they're having these fears or this pain is coming up or, you know, what's going on? Why do I feel so sad? And then also knowing when to step out of that. So like 
it's so easy to go down into that downward spiral, you know, where you get kind of lost in the darkness. So what would you say is a good way to kind of feel your feelings and figure out where you're at, but also move through it? Meditate every morning. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's key. And if 20 minutes sounds scary, like do three. It's not, it's, it's not so much like all or nothing, the all or nothing mentality, the perfectionist sort of trap, which I think a lot of us struggle with is, is not going to work. Um, I don't think, sure, it might get some stuff done, it might accomplish some things, but that deeper, if there's real, if our spirit or our emotional body or our physical body like really needs our attention, that's only going to last for so long, that kind of pushing so that meditation practice, even if three minutes, and it could be a ritual practice too. And I, when I say meditation, yes, the sitting quietly, I think that stillness is really important. But if for someone it looks a little different in the beginning, maybe it's journaling for the three minutes or picking a, an oracle card and reading and like reflecting and then closing the eyes and sitting with the message uh, or, you know, doing a little movement for three minutes, something where you're like, you know what, I'll do something. I, I'm really with people that I work with. It's like, just let's do three minutes. Here's some options. Which one is a yes in your body? Which one is the one you're really going to do? Because that's the one you should do and not force it. And then it's the cumulative impact of those three minutes or that one minute or that 10 minutes or the 20 or the seven, whatever someone decides they're going to commit to. And you can always go more. If you're like, you know what? I know I can do three. So I'm always going to hit my mark. And then if I want more, I can go more. It, the cumulative impact of that over the course of a month is huge. Number one, because we're in right word with ourself, which we're so often out of integrity with telling ourselves we're going to do things and putting ourselves last or not getting to it or not in a, the, a good mood that day or whatever it is. I do this no matter what, no matter how tired I am, no matter what side of the bed I woke up on, no matter how busy life gets, no matter how good I feel, I don't need it today. You know, even that is like, all of it is, I show up for those three minutes, no matter what, and it has, it swells into something really beautiful. It swells into something tangible. And those three minutes might not always be like the best sit ever. Maybe it was like, no case sit. Maybe the mind was really distracted. And then the next day it got better. And it's, it's, but it's more about how it shows up in your life. You're exercising that muscle of devotion to your well-being. You're exercising your muscle of commitment in general. And you're reaping the spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical benefits of pausing for a certain amount of time every single day, more or less at the same time. Uh, you know, if it doesn't happen that morning, there's been times where I'm in these like long commitments and I didn't get it done that morning for some reason. And, and then I like kind of forget about it and I'm in bed and it's late and I'm like, Oh shit. And I open my eyes, like, I have to do it. And like get up and like, just like get it in. And you know, so there's, it, it really has, and I wasn't always like that. It's, it's been in the last out of, you know, so many years of practice, it's really been in the last, two to three years. I mean, there's been times in the last many years where I've been like super solid, but something has shifted in the last couple years where I made it a non-negotiable. And I really feel that my, the fruits of that are starting to, I can like feel the fruits of that in a different way than I have before. And it's just easier to show up. It's not like a big battle or chatty conversation. And if it is for some people, that's okay too. And you just sit anyways. And that's the key. You know, I hear people say like, I'm not a good meditator. And it's like, none of us were real. I mean, it's not, I still sit down and, and sometimes it's a great meditation. Sometimes I cannot wait to get up 
and I'm like just doing everything to not get on my phone and write a reminder down and you know and it's just you just let it pass by and and uh it it's so it's good on the nervous system it's good for mentally it's good for we just it's a good time to pause there's a lot going on in the world right now we're, we're all very busy and so that I guess would answer your question of like if, if we're in that dark spiral you know that meditation piece and I'm using that word lightly it can be the stillness or the journaling or whatever someone chooses that they just do that for themselves over and over again so that they give a place for that energy to discharge otherwise it's just super heady, super overthinking, um, negative self-talk, maybe even nasty to others. Like it's just, you know, it starts to spiral in a lot of different directions. So it is important to give that, that charge somewhere to go. And, uh, and then that's again, where the moon deck comes in, each card has a mantra or, you know, an affirmation. And, you know, I think we all make the things we need the most. I certainly made this because of my struggle with negative self-talk or, you know, uh, overthinking or living with too much worry and decks have always helped me to kind of take a bigger idea and encapsulate it into something digestible and beautiful and tangible and so I would say that's the other piece for anyone that is now or has struggled with that downward spiral is just as soon as that happens getting better and better at at, at, uh, uh, identifying it and then shifting it with a mantra or a positive affirmation or even a word or even an image of a place that makes your system light up a little more. And, you know, if we're in a pretty dark place, it can be seductive, like quicksand. So it, it might require like, really repeating those more positive affirmations to ourselves over and over again, even if we don't quite believe it. And just exercising that ability to like shift gears, to shift the mindset, to disrupt what's comfortable, to disrupt the pattern that we're used to. It's that disruption piece that I think is, is key when it comes to the, the inner dialogue stuff. So let's talk about the moon deck. I'm very excited. Um, so what is the power of the moon deck? Some people that are listening probably maybe have never even had cards read to them or have even held a deck of cards. So can you talk a little bit about the power of a deck and then particularly the moon deck and how you created that? Sure, yeah. So I have been a deck lover for a long time. I just, as I said earlier, I've just been into all this stuff from such a young age. Some of it just sort of in my nature, some of it certainly uh, shared and taught to me by my mom. And I have loved tarot decks and getting readings and Oracle decks. And, th- and that's a big thing. People, there's a difference between them. Uh, the moon deck is an Oracle deck, not a tarot deck. And just out of respect for those who have studied tarot for a long time, and it is a different lineage and it has certain suits, you know, the swords and the wands and the cups, pentacles, the, the Oracle decks are a little more open-ended, I would say, based on the creator of the deck. And so the moon deck is kind of its own thing. And I've been wanting to do a deck for, for many years. I'd say I've held this vision since 2010. And it started because of my own use of cards, being a visual, experiential kind of learner person myself. It gave me something to meditate on. It gave me, it helped me that switch, that inner switch, that inner mindset switch perspective shift that I just talked about. It really helped me with that. And it also helped me trust my own inner voice in times where I wasn't trusting myself, where I didn't trust my decisions. I didn't know what was intuition or what was fear. And that's something I'm still learning but cards just like, oh, 
that makes sense. I actually felt that. It just helped confirm that inner knowing. And for me, I also felt like these sort of divination tools helped connect me to my spirit guides. Um, but even if, if, if someone connects to that, great. But if it's even just that piece of, of helping us connect to our inner knowing, like that's enough. And I have taught yoga for about 16 years and I used to do these big events called yoga soundscape, which is a lot of live musicians with the yoga class. And I would paint words on pieces of paper and hand them out to people. And then that got like kind of labor intensive. So I just started color copying it. And then I was like, I'm just going to buy my favorite decks and pass out the cards. And so it went kind of from these, and I've always been a writer. I've always loved to write. I've, I've sort of have a background of art. So it was just a way of bringing words and poetry to my classes and helping bring ideas that were up uplifting and transformative and helping us remember ourselves. And whether it was the painted words or the Oracle cards that I was sharing, when I would just buy my favorite decks, people just were, I would just leave it on their mats. Say when they're on a child's pose and they would like open their eyes to this thing. And it's just always hit home for people. And I, and a year later, they're like, I still have that on my desk. I can't explain how much it's helped me. So it just, I saw that, the response that they were having was similar to how it had helped me. And I was like, I really want to just make my own deck. And so that was just, I started probably journaling some ideas. Uh, I used to be more into Twitter at the time and, and actually had a, an intern, like I was like, just go in and collect all my one liners and categorize them in these categories. And, and so that's kind of where it started. And that was probably a couple years before I even really did anything with it. And I didn't know at the time that I wanted to do the moon deck. I just knew I wanted to do a deck. I didn't know it was going to be ritual based or so feminine. And then I was with a new moon circle in New York where I used to live for 18 years. I'm in LA now. Um, we were sitting together every single new moon for a, a good couple years. And that really started to, and I was doing a lot of women's circle work before that, but this circle, uh, over time, we started to really have a formula in the way that we sat with each other, which is in the back of the book. And if people wanted to start their own, they could take pieces of that. And that's when the moon deck theme and ritual and feminine started to get shaped. And all of the moon deck is such a culmination of all of my work over the years. But something about that circle and my experience in it and this project just wanting to get birthed more and more kind of fell together. And then I approached my good friend, one of my best friends, Andy, Andrea Kay, who's the illustrator of the deck. And I approached her first and I, we had tea and we just needed to catch up anyway. And I told her, I was like, I want to do this deck. Here's some ideas. I want you to be the illustrator. And I actually found an old journal entry that had her name in it. That was like, I think I'm going to use Andy, oh which God. was like in 2000, I think 2010 when I first started really writing about it. And that was 2014 when I approached her. And uh, it was between her and this other friend who's like been super MIA, like in Hawaii, like for years now. So that wasn't an option. And she was just like super on board right away. Yes. And I was like, yeah, I'm thinking like the moon cycles, like working with the moon, the moon deck. And I was like, oh, the moon deck. And like right there went online and went to see if the URL was available. And I just bought it just in case. And then that's kind of how it started. And her and I pushed through that year trying to get it done on a pretty short deadline and realized that is not what she wanted. And we slowed it down. And then we brought on Ashley Bruni, who's a, one of my best friends as well. And she came on board after Andy and I had been working on it for about a year. And she helped us ground the vision even more. The wood box was her vision. Um, she helped us launch our Indiegogo campaign. That's how we got started as a business. We, we raised funds through pre-orders and it launched us into a full business. And um, 
yeah, and she helped us with the editing and things like that. So that's kind of the, the, the story in short. And the art, we had a huge Pinterest, private Pinterest board with all of our kind of thoughts and ideas being pulled together. And we'd go to ABC Home to put our mood board together. And it was, you know, we'd have the mantras that I wrote and the art. And things would shift along the way. Like, we'd realize that the art didn't quite go with it or the mantra. You know, it was a, a, very, it was a very, very, very deep process. And, and then writing the book was extremely deep for me. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was definitely a labor of love. We had no idea where it would go. We just knew it had to happen. And... I feel like every time I was writing the book, whatever card was being worked on would just like show up in my life. It's like, Oh yeah, really? Okay. Let's see. Let's see how you like, how that's going in your life. So it was, it was challenging and um, it was beautiful and it was painful at times and it was exciting. And so, yeah, we've been, um, it was about two years to make it. And then we've been in business over just over two years now and it's going really well. I'm excited to see where it goes. The illustrations are so amazing. They're just perfect. They go so well with the the cards, the the sayings or the mantras, I guess, the affirmations. What would you yeah. call them? We call them mantras, okay. but they're they're affirmations and and really like mantra technically would be more like Sanskrit words or syllables and but I, it's kind of like this thread of so mantra, the power of a mantra is something said in repetition to help absorb the mind, to help us in our concentration because we can get very distracted. So mantra is all about this focus, this absorption. And so that's why I say when you pick a card, say the mantra three times in a row to invoke its greatest power. And it, our mind is like looping stuff all the time. It's just like a bunch of blah. It's like, it's just looping like a broken record. So the exercise or the practice then is to insert something more loving, more productive into the looping of the mind because we're not going to really stop that necessarily. We can slow it down but it just what it does. So starting to replace it or insert rather more positive affirmations. So that's the power of a mantra. The power of an affirmation is, is, you know, a sentence that carries a desired outcome and gives power to that desired outcome. And then the third piece of this, and this is also in the intro of the book is incantation. It carries the power to be a spell when said with conviction, with said with clarity, with said with full sincerity that it becomes. And so it's a blend of mantra, the absorption of the mind, the repetition, affirmation, a desired outcome, a sentence, you know, to like invoke a desired outcome in our life to help us focus on that with clarity. And then the power of a spell, the power of incantation to say, to say something with full belief, with clarity. And so ideally, that's what the deck can invoke and brings those different practices together. And what is the power of the moon in all of this? How does it connect the cards to your own intuition and, and, you know, the magic of the, the Oracle. I mean, there's something bigger than us and it's speaking through the card. So how does the moon connect with that? The moon connects. So I think there's a, a I just wrote about this in a, a Gaia piece about the healing powers of women's circles. And I, I feel like the moon has become this kind of icon. It's been around forever. I mean, it's like ancient us celebrating the moon and honoring the moon cycles um, but it's definitely now we're seeing this huge reemergence of women wanting to come together and sit in circle and honor the cycles of the moon and connect to it as a way to connect to ourselves and one another. And so much healing is needed between women. Like there's a lot of wounds between women and this is giving us an opportunity to, to heal some of that. And again, to look at ourselves, honestly, at the same time, like the blame shame game is just like, does not work anymore. And doesn't mean we won't fall into that sometimes, but to really take note of when we do. 
the moon piece is that we are all cyclical in nature and the moon deck is you know there are pieces in the moon that 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 te- in the moon deck that teach you about the cycles of the moon and how to work with the directions and set up an altar and some of the rituals each card has its own ritual along with its own write up so some of those rituals do work with the moon cycle so it has that piece but it's less of a literal deck of like here's what you do on this you know it's not there's other uh, you know resources out there to like really learn the ins and outs of the moon itself what it is it mostly is using the moon as a metaphor that we honor our cycles, that we honor the various phases of our womanhood and that we respect it and that we trust it. And, you know, the new moon is the dark moon and then there's the waning moon and there's the waxing moon and there's the full moon and there's all this ebb and flow. And it's so cyclical. And when we look at the sky and we see her in all her glory, no matter what phase she's in, we celebrate her beauty. Like, oh, look at the moon tonight. She's so beautiful. And yet when we're going through these various cycles, we don't, where I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm waning. I'm, I'm like, I'm so beautiful. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> it, we might not have the same reflection or honor towards our own cycles. There's more struggle if we're not feeling our best or we're not looking our best or we're feeling the dark night or the dark moon in our, you know. And if we can honor that and know that there's a deep inherent wisdom in all of those cycles available to us, which is like, we're kind of reclaiming that right now. I I believe once upon a time, it was just inherent. It was a part of the culture. Um, We have to reclaim that and redefine it. And so this, this symbolism of the moon honoring her cycles, feeling into how it reflects our cycles, both in menstruation, in our own hormones, in our getting older, in, in like, things changing within a month and you know it just helps us I think have a little more calm and maybe even some inspiration towards dropping into these cycles with less judgment and more love and then doing the things that these cycles call for okay I have to be more inward right now okay I'm like who I'm like feeling alive and I want to be out and then the in-between phases and and having a little more um you know maybe just uh, trust in those cycles trust sometimes that's challenging but it's cool because these cards are kind of a tool to help you trust right definitely they help you trust they I think you know help us remind ourselves remember that we'll get through it whatever it is that there are solutions that we can have the power to make a different choice that we can get grounded and centered again and there's rituals to help us do that there's tools that we can find beauty in all of it that if we remain teachable and curious through all that life is showing us that there's real magic and medicine there. If we can just like move through the tough stuff with a sense of curiosity, a willingness to remain teachable and using the tools to help us stay healthy through that, um, that on the other side is a lot of beauty, a lot of integration, a lot of, a lot more power, like how, like, we have to go through that stuff sometimes to find our power, to know who we are. And that's certainly something I've been dealing with big time in the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, I think I'm realizing now as a woman, as an adult, I'm like, oh, it doesn't stop. Gotcha. Okay. But I, <laughs> it's like a new realization, that, you know, so, you know, and then these tools are just help me. It's like with all the ebbs and flows, can I have some consistency? Yes. I sit and meditate. Yes. I work with my cars. There's, my handful of people that can embrace me through the ugly and beautiful and that I can do that for them. And, 
And uh, yeah, and I'm someone who can be really hard on myself. It's something I've, I'm getting much better, but it's definitely been a part of my makeup for a long time and just learning to soften the edges and judge less and control less. And uh, that's a big one for me that I'm still still working on. And let the feminine in, like relearn that that aspect that there's there is power in that that maybe I can even be really successful as the with the feminine flow maybe it doesn't have to be so linear like sure some of that's necessary it's you know business 101 but how can I bring the feminine into that too and still be a source of power and success and and teach myself and hopefully teach others that that is possible in today's world and the more we all do that the more possible it becomes Mm -hmm. I think that's beautiful. And I think we are moving more into that feminine energy of surrendering a little bit and allowing, you know, and not trying to control. It's hard, especially for a lot of us who were taught that, that you had to have that masculine energy to be successful. And so now stepping back and surrendering a little bit, I think it's beautiful, but it is constantly working on it. It's a, it's a, it's internal work for sure. It's very internal work. I feel like just that slowing, that softening and surrendering. And then there's other places, you know, and and that's the other thing that's interesting. I was having a conversation recently, like the, the idea of the feminine, it's not always soft with flowy hair. You know, it's like, that's one, there's also Kali and she comes in and she's rageful and she's like, you know, cutting right through the heads of ignorance. And so that's feminine too. And we were taught by the patriarchy primarily that like the feminine that it is part of the feminine it's a beautiful part of the feminine it's it's certainly a an aspect of the feminine that I'm wanting to embrace more but it's only one side of it and it's sort of the accepted side of it this flowing with grace and receptive and and that's a piece of it um and those of us as we're you know who have judgment and control and like all that stuff like that's a really nice feminine piece to embody but there is that other side where we might feel anger and we might feel confusion and we might feel like textured and fiery and like a volcano I mean that's like mother earth right there Mm -hmm. and and fire all the elements have two sides of it fire can light and warm our path and it can destruct everything in its path same with water it can destruct everything in its path or it can cleanse and 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 hydrate us and same with wind look at the power of wind it can be the sweetest breeze or it can be a tornado and that's feminine too yeah, I think it's true. I heard that recently too. It, the feminine, it is the storm. It is that that rush and that power. And so you're right. It is. It's there's two sides to it, and that's the beauty of it too. Is there's many sides to us as women. So we're just constantly discovering that. There's so much to discover. And I think that's another thing that the moon deck represents with the different phases of the moon. I mean, I just named four, but like it's always going through a phase, a, a cycle. And, and it's also reflective. We have an earth card in the deck and it is like the elements in earth and it's masculine and feminine. Like we're all carrying all these traits. And um, so, yeah, it's just to embody and accept and have more trust around these various layers because uh, we can just be so hard on ourselves and critical and, and, and we live in a society that enhances that criticism. Like it, it thrives off of it. It's, it's, it would fall apart our economy if we all totally mm-hmm. accepted ourselves and felt amazing about ourselves. You know, it, it, <laughs> yeah. So hopefully more of these conscious tools can be out there that, that assist us in uh, having less fear about our future and more trust in who we are and knowing that our gifts and our voice and our story do matter and that we can access that to then step out and give back in some way. And that's going to look really different for everyone. It's 
super confusing in this day and age. Like, how do we give back? It's, it's overwhelming with everything we're seeing in the world. Um, but that's, you know, I guess unique to each person. Mm-hmm. So how do you read the moon deck? And maybe we can do a couple of cards. So the moon deck is a deck that you can use as a daily ritual. Pick one card a day, say the mantra three times in a row open it in the book and read the description. And that's a really simple, beautiful way to bring ritual and meaning into your mornings. If you have more time, you can do a full spread. You can do the past, present, future spread or the seven chakra spread, or you can even just be intuitive and make up a spread. And you can have more cards out and really dial into a a larger storyline, if you will. Um, When I'm giving myself a reading or if I'm giving readings to others, I like to shuffle the cards in the overhand shuffle rather than the rifle shuffle. I just find it's more gentle on the cards. And then I typically will split it. And as we do the shuffling, it's important that whether you're doing it for yourself or another person, giving them a reading, that everyone's present, breathing, and setting an intention. And the intention can be a question, or it can just be a general essence or intention that someone wants to connect with. Like, what do I need to know for today? What can help me for today? Um, You know, the bigger readings might be working with a specific challenge at hand. And you can also just be like, I just want to be open to receive a message. It's, it's not, there's no right or wrong, really. I just say that to be present, to breathe, to have some intention, even if the intention is that breath. And then after I've shuffled, I'll split the deck into three piles. Just sort of let it break where it naturally breaks and then restock it in any order so it's one pile. And then from there, I choose. I either start flipping from the top or sometimes I like to fan the cards out and hover my left hand and kind of feel where I'm getting like a magnetic pull and I'll, I'll draw that card. And if I'm picking more cards, I'll do that, you know, for all of them. And each card has a little number at the upper right hand corner. And that's what matches in the book. And then, as I said, there's the write up and the ritual, the ritual is very specific according to the card. And, you know, like the forgiveness card will have a different ritual than the dream card or the, you know, a shadow card or the clarity card. And the rituals range from yoga and meditation to journaling to body care to earth-based practices um, to more witchy practices like carving your own intention candle. It's a little bit of everything in there from all of my influences from when I was young and into adulthood. Um, So I'll go ahead and shuffle and pick a card. And I trust this deck so much. So I feel like whatever cards we get is the right card for the listeners and for us. So taking a deep breath in. And I'm feeling inclined to pick two. So I'll go ahead and do that. So we got this one and this one. Okay, cool. So we got two cards. The first one I got is we're all sisters and reflect the divine. Oh, that's a beautiful card. In one another. So we are all sisters and reflect the divine in one another, which is kind of perfect because we were just talking so much about the cycles of womanhood and the wounds between women and healing those wounds. So we are all sisters and reflect the divine in one another. That's we are all sisters card. and reflect the divine in one another. And again, you could say that three times and kind of feel into that. And that ritual, for example, is to start your own moon circle um, or to attend one or go back into one if you sort of dropped out. And this is really about bringing women back together in some way. And there's instructions in the book for how to do that. 
I feel like, you know, some people are like, I don't know where to begin. I'm like, I promise you there are women in your neighborhood just as hungry for it as you. And you really just need one other woman to start it. It can be two people, three people, doesn't matter. And then it starts to grow from there. And then the other one we got, which is also very community-based, is the bees. We have nine animals in the deck. And this is one of them. It's the, the bee card. And it's collaboration brings more sweetness into my life and into the world. So both of these cards are very collaborative, very much about, you know, bringing community in. Collaboration brings more sweetness into my life and into the world. So this is all about, you know, how collaboration brings up a lot for us. It helps us bring dreams to life. It helps us manifest desires that we've been carrying. It helps us make something real, that collaboration piece. It certainly made the moon deck happen. I don't know if it would have happened if I was alone making this. <laughs> uh, I don't know if, or I don't know if it would have got completed. And it's also like collaboration enhances us, but it challenges us. There's the accountability piece. It makes us rise up to the occasion. It, it, we learn a lot about ourselves. We learn a lot about others. But with that collaboration, more is created. More beauty is created in the world. And bees are, you know, some of the most genius collaborators and the way they take care of their hive and collect their pollen. And, and you know, that's why we use them for this image. Collaboration brings more sweetness into my life and into the world. And the sisterhood card is, again, about community, bringing women together, and and really acknowledging that we're all so similar. Like, yes, we're very unique, and we have our differences, but there's so many things that are so similar about us. And, you know, the feminine is emotional and flow and intuitive and creative, and I think that's something that a lot of women share, no matter how that shows up in their life or in the world. And, you know, in a day and age we're like, you know, we're in this scrolling reality TV culture. I mean, so much of that stuff, especially like the Raylan TV stuff, I can't stand that stuff, is like, it really pushes competition, comparison, and gossip. And that is not inherently feminine traits. It was learned. It was taught to us. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. it's crazy. So to yeah. unlearn that and like, it it doesn't move us forward to to gossip about what you know venting getting something off your chest is one thing but to like really bring someone down or compare ourselves to someone or compete is I think not the way forward and definitely we're seeing changes and I think more and more people are collaborating so that card is very much about seeing ourselves and others and holding each other up and, and noticing that inner dialogue and shifting it and really like allowing one another to shine and know that there's enough for all of us. And then we have this collaboration piece, which is coming together and creating a circle or us working together here to get a message out. And this, this power and magic and energy um, and freedom that can come when we collaborate and the deep learning that can happen in collaboration. That's so beautiful. And it, it really resonates with me so much, both of those cards, because that is really our mission on this earth in this lifetime is to find out how to work through our own things, but then also just create more love and beauty in the world around us. So to do that through sisterhood and collaboration, that's just beautiful. It's everything. Yeah, I agree. And it's, yeah, it's a journey. Mm-hmm. I think we, we reflect a lot in one another and there's some relationships in my life that are easier than others and even as we drop into that deeper sisterhood and collaboration, like that doesn't mean certain boundaries won't be needed at times. And, and some relationships will be more in the flow than others. And that's okay. We don't have to necessarily like 
come one, come all, all the time. If like we need boundaries in certain people, there is that line, but, but at, in the heart of how we view one another and where we hold one another and our willingness to work through that or not, but still, you know, wish the best for everyone, I think is really, really important. And, um, and yeah, finding those women who do hold one another accountable and can be embraced through thick and thin is, is rare. And, and I think it's more and more important to have those people in our life. And I know I talk very differently with my women friends than my male friends. And I always say there's like, you know, men are like, oh, I want to come to the circle. And it's kind of like, okay, we'll have you. Like there's a place for women to come together. There's a place for men to come together. And there's a place for us all to come together. And each one has a very different and needed conversation. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's the beauty of that. And this, and, and, and as, as feminine as this deck is, we got the sisterhood card, card of course, the, the teachings are very universal. And we do have some men out there who use it and just sort of flip the wording around or apply it to their feminine, especially if they're like a big deck collector. This is just one of the archetypes. Of course, it's mostly women who use our deck, but the, the teachings are definitely for everyone. It's, it's um, yeah, it's accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. How often would someone read their cards? I go through phases. I mostly do. I pretty much have my deck on me in my bag all the time. Um, I go through phases where I'm like every day with it. And then other rituals or practices kind of take the front seat, depending on, on, on things. I'm in the middle of a 40 day thing right now. And I just finished a 30 day writing and burning thing. And so it depends kind of where I'm at with my practices and what I'm working on. Um, you know, as far as my own balance and healing and the things that I'm, I'm working on in my life right now, but I'd say I use it most days. I go through phases where like, I have to pick a card a day and actually do the ritual. I'd say someone who, I mean, I know people that use this every single day. I know some people that just use it. They bring it to their moon circles and like hang out with their girls and use it. Um, but I would say a card a day is really great. And then when you have that time to sit and do a bigger reading and kind of dig deeper, especially like on the new moon, the full moon, or, you know, that's a good time to really sit with the deck and have a bigger spread and go a little deeper into what you're working on. Let the cards bring up your own, like bring insights into your system, journal on it and just have your light bulbs go off. And it just meant to assist you. And if you get the same card in the moon deck over and over again, that's a really good time. We hear that all the time. Like I keep getting the same card over and over again. And I've had the deck for a month am I doing something wrong? I'm like, no, just do the ritual. The card is like, have you done the ritual yet? So that's a good time to do the ritual. Some rituals are a one-time thing. Some of them are a 28-day commitment. Some of them are a seven-day commitment. Some of them are just like a project and you do it till you're done. So it depends on the card. Um, But, you know, if you're using the deck every day, you wouldn't necessarily do every ritual every day or that would be unrealistic because of all the different timelines. So you would do the ritual if, if you get the same card repeatedly or you get a card and it just really hits home. You're just like, whoa, that card's so spot on. I'm going to do the ritual. Or if you just crave ritual, I think ritual is so important for us. And there's no ritual that's too small. I always say it's like from the mundane to the mystical. We're like covered in rituals all day. And it's, you know, I think for me, it's what keeps me afloat. It's what keeps me connected to my center. It's that constant reminder every day to come back to myself, to come back home, to come back to myself while like being more available. And uh, so, yeah, uh, to answer your question, I, I don't use it every day all the time, but I go through phases of using it every day, but I always have it with me and I use it most days. And I think it's going to be different for everyone. I wouldn't say there's a right way 
or a wrong way to use it. I think I've had, I have a lot of decks and sometimes I'm really into them and then I kind of put it away for a few months and people connect with different decks at different times in their life because each one has a different spirit. So different message. Yeah. So we have the cards. Do you have any other rituals or sacred enchantments for self-love and beauty? Ah, meditation. (laughs) I'm always going to come back to that. I think meditation is definitely a beauty, beauty practice. Um, Myself right now, again, I'm sure you can understand these things kind of ebb and flow that the different things we get into right now, I am in the middle of a 40 day Kriya, more from the Kundalini lineage. And, uh, I'm right in the middle of that. And it's feeling there was a lot of resistance because it's, um, 31 minutes a day for you know at a time for 40 days and a friend of mine recently prescribed it to me and I was just like all right kind of super resistant like felt right in my cells so I I went ahead and did it and now I'm in the thick of it so that's feeling amazing and I also just like getting sun I just lived in New York for 18 years I just moved back to LA a year ago where I was born and raised so making you know making sure I get out on a hike once a week is a ritual I always say that there's some of our rituals are daily some of our rituals are weekly we have monthly rituals we even have seasonal rituals and all these rituals act as threads and these threads weave together to create a net and so if we like lose one ritual it's like one less thread unless we replace it it's not like we have to be like covered in rituals all the time but even flossing our teeth is a ritual making your bed it's like that's what I mean when I say the mundane to the mystical like all these things come together to create this woven experience that carries us and that's our well-being and that's the net we fall into if we hit a tough spot and and on the good days we still have to show up you know it's like it's like putting money in the bank it's just like the good days are just as important to do those rituals as the tough days and the good days if we do it on the good days it helps us show up on the harder days because we're in a flow we're in a rhythm we've made a commitment um so as I said, that my morning meditation, I do a, I do the Kriya right now, and then I sit silently, and I go through kind of walking through my body and, and listening to what my emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual body need that day. Um, I work with my cards definitely a few times a week. I just finished a daily journaling practice where I had a 20-minute commitment to write every day, and that's something I'm probably going to want to get back into soon. I'm trying to think of anything else. Yeah. And just like, I guess the more subtle practices right now for me is just the, the softening just like throughout the day, like peppering those reminders throughout the day of like shifting my inner dialogue of like, just literally softening the edges like that feels like a ritual to me to just remember to do that as frequently as possible during the day to pause when I'm going to make a choice that maybe isn't for the best for me. And like, just you know, choosing it to do it or not, but at least having that pause before I pivot in one direction or the other. Um, and then I, I move a lot. So I, I'd like to, I like to move a few times a week and yeah, I think that's, there's probably many more. I have a whole face regimen every night that I do and my favorite products that I use and I love coffee. So I'm in this really awesome coffee ritual right now where I do a coffee in the morning, but I, I put it in my French press and I actually blend it with a, a bunch of herbs so I've been doing like like three quarters of the ground coffee and then about a quarter of the herbs, which right now includes rose petal, dried rose, nettles, um, lemon balm, and um, horsetail. And I just like, I have all these bags of it and I just put it in one jar and I sprinkle that into the French press. And that's how I've been doing my coffee lately to, to just boost it a bit. 
um, cause coffee is really expansive and it, it's a good time to put in your supplements and your herbs actually when you're working with coffee. So that's what I've been adding to that just to kind of chill it out a little bit and add something like the herbs, which is just super good. I've been definitely feeling that. So that's like a morning ritual for me on top of everything else. I could go on. But awesome. I yeah, love those it. Are the, yeah. So many goodies. <laughs> and the, and the other one I just finished the 30 day one was a, I would write every night for 20 minutes and then burn it. And I was working with a very specific topic. And once you're writing, you can kind of flow out, like just naturally your writing might take different directions, but the seed is that topic that you need to, in my case, like work through and heal through and let go and forgive. And um, so that would be my starting point. And then I would just let kind of let it flow. I always use my timer so that I don't have to think about it. And then I have a little mini cauldron and I would go outside and like burn my, my paper. And, and then while I was doing that, I sort of came up with my own chant and it happened because I realized that not everything I was writing on the paper, like sometimes the writing would just be like, well, like getting the gunk out. Other times there was some positive things coming out too. So I was like, well, I'm like burning this and, you know, it's like burning, like doing the shadow work. So I just, as I'm burning, as I rip and burn the paper, if you can't burn it, you can also rip it up and then just throw it away outside your home or bury it somewhere. Um, but I liked the burning <laughs> and uh, I like, I like playing with the fire. So I would burn it. And as it's burning, I would just say blame and shame be gone blessings and prayers be heard blame and shame be gone blessings and prayers be heard and I would just say that over and over again as I was feeding the fire and uh and then when it was done after the 30 days I brought the ashes up to where I go hiking near me and just sort of released the ashes and just did a little prayer and, and sat with that that's awesome I love that yeah it was a good one kind of making me think like maybe I should do something like that I think it's cool to hear other people's rituals and and processes because there's so many things I think we want to work through and so to hear these methods or these ways to do that I think is inspiring because yeah that's a great way to work through stuff and then really symbolically and probably spiritually and and energetically cleanse yourself in that way yeah Totally. Yeah. And I feel like for me, like re like bringing those rituals back into my life, I was again, like even when I was little, I was pretty ritualistic in different ways. And, uh, so none of it went away, but I just feel like so much of it is reemerging with like more confidence and connection to it again, as I find my voice again in all of this. And yeah, it just, it just, it builds trust with myself. It's, I'm just such a physical experiential person it just like gives me somewhere to channel it otherwise it just swims in my head into chaos and worry and like exhaustion <laughs> and so it just gives it a channel it gives it somewhere to go and it's very symbolic for me it feels like I'm taking care of my spirit and my emotional body when I do those things and you know sometimes I wish I didn't have to do all that but I'm just built that way mm -hmm. and I the more I honor it the the more better things get, the better, healthier I feel. And I'm really feel like I'm in a place of re own, like taking charge of that again and be like, this is just how I am. And maybe not everyone agrees with that. Or maybe I wasn't raised to like honor that. You know, I was, I was always very sensitive. Yeah. And I, um, you know, our parents do the best they can and they know what they know and they know it, but I definitely was raised being told like, you're so sensitive, stop being so sensitive. And so just like shut so much of that down. And that's not where I'm going to thrive. I just, I won't ever, and in that, in that shutting down place. So it's been, um, definitely like a big process of, you know, embracing that again and relearning it and allowing it and trusting that that's where my success lives. That's where my health lives. That's where my happiness lives. The other way doesn't work. It hasn't worked all these years. Mm. 
So yeah, still learning and growing, but the moon deck and the creation of the deck and this kind of ritualized way of doing things has been super healing and empowering on so many levels. And there's still a journey ahead, but it's, yeah, it's, it's good. It feels like it's in a good place right now and it gets easier. Like anyone that struggles with this, I promise it just keep going. Even if it's just three minutes a day, it's all it takes, but just do it every day. Make it a non-negotiable, like put yourself first for those three minutes every day and then let it go. And then you do it the next day. And it, it does start to swell into something special. Mm-hmm. It It's so true. I, I feel that too. In the beginning, I think it feels really overwhelming and you don't know if you're doing it right. And But as you continue, you'll feel your way into it. You know? Exactly. And that's how I, I love to work with people. It's like, sometimes I'll work with the cards and sessions and let the cards kind of speak, but really it's a, a conversation between us and just customize it for someone. And like, there, there are ways like creating ritual wellness. Like there's ways to find it. That's like perfect for each individual. And I think that can soften it, kind of be relieving for people like, Oh really? I can just do three minutes or, Oh, I can just journal for, you know, like, yeah, it's that it can be that simple. Like, sure. You want it to grow into something more eventually, maybe depending on the person, but you know, if someone's, I mean, we're just at such different places in our life. Not everyone's going to have the time or, even know how to show up more than that. So that's okay. We have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, it does, yeah, it's, it turns into something really beautiful, as you know. Yes. And I feel like that is biohacking your beauty. When you say, what do I do for beauty? It's like that, I think, however those rituals show up or manifest, whether it's specific beauty skincare or what we put into our body or what we're doing for our spirit and emotional body, like all of that is so connected and equally important. And I think, I think we're realizing that more and more in this world. You know, it's been such like a, physical body focus world when it comes to like fitness and health. And that's just like really one piece of the equation and the mental and emotional health and spiritual health or energetic health or whatever someone wants to name it is, is crucial. What is your definition of beauty? Oh, my definition of beauty is, I think it comes back to, I mean, there's so many, my definition of beauty in a person is, a willingness to grow and change and like the curiosity we bring to life and to one another. And yeah, like for me, when I see a woman, I'll say, who is like really confident yet welcoming is really beautiful to me. It's like something I, I'd like to continue to work towards because I think, you know, we see a lot of like big wigs, mamas in, in this world. And it's like, I want to, I want to be someone who's really approachable no matter how successful I get or how, you know, and I think that's really beautiful to me when I see someone who is a true leader. And again, of course we need our boundaries and our healthy filters and all that, but someone who is a true leader, it doesn't, and that doesn't even mean that they have to have the biggest following. I don't, I'm not, I'm talking like on whatever scale it could be in their community. Um, and there's like a deep confidence in them, but it also, but they're still allowing space for that vulnerability like that is so beautiful to me, that vulnerability piece blended with the confidence piece, or even if they're working on the confidence. So I guess, yeah, I guess I'm kind of, as I'm going, it's like that vulnerability piece, I think is really beautiful to me. Um, and then that, that welcoming, that like warm welcome, I think is, is really beautiful and something I'm learning to receive from people and also to give because Sometimes I can kind of close up or be, you know, kind of, I kind of dance with all of that. And I think we're surrounded by beauty. I think humans, it's in our nature to be attracted to beauty, you know? So 
um, nature, flowers, the moon, all that stuff is so beautiful to me. But in a person, I think it's that, that vulnerability piece combined with curiosity and, and a, a, a deep inner confidence, even if it's just like evolving, just, I think that's something we're all growing. So, yeah. Love yeah. That. And so where can people find you and where can people find the moon deck? Yeah, so people can find The Moon Deck at themoondeck.com, www.themoondeck.com. Make sure you put that in there. Um, on Instagram, we're the underscore moon deck. And we sell on our website if anyone wants to get a moon deck. We also have notebooks on there that, that have the art on it. And we have crystal set. And we're going to continue to expand the store. And then we also wholesale all over. And if they go to our FAQ page, they can see the shops that we are in. Um, and we're always open. I would love to get a million moon decks out to people in the next year. We have a ways to go, but I've gotten very clear about that goal. I want, you know, we have so many people coming to us saying how much this deck helped them during a tough time in life. And the, the testimonials are amazing. So I just have a big goal right now of getting it into as many hands as possible. If, uh, people out there have stores they want us to be in and then me uh, i my name is arana leah you can go to aranalia.com a-a-r-o-n-a-l-e-a.com or on instagram arana.lea arana.lea um and then i'm in la and i i teach workshops all over i go back and forth between new york so they can stay in touch um, on the moon deck newsletter is a really great place we send it out every new moon and full moon with a whole download on the moon cycle and a ritual to do for that moon and then any specials that we're offering. And I have a couple online workshops on the Moon Deck website right now. That's all rituals. So there's one called Calling in Love. And there's one that's called um, Rituals for Rebirth and Renewal. And both of them are a 30-minute online course that um, is all ritual-based. And you just have to get a few things to make it happen. And we're going to do more of those. So that's the best way to get in touch. Or I will be offering a lot more in-person stuff as well if you're in L.A. Yay. Well, hopefully yeah. I'll get to make it to one of those in-person things because that sounds so awesome. Um, yeah. I might be doing one at the end of July uh, at my friend's house on the beach. We're just yeah. talking about it right now. So we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> keep us posted. That's amazing. I will. Oh, and one more thing I'd love to add is every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Coast time, I do a free Oracle reading on Facebook and Instagram live on the Moon Deck page. So that's available to anyone. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Dora. Yay. Recording real. Thank you so much for joining me today on this amazing episode. I hope you enjoyed it so much. And I was just really excited about the card reading because just how an alignment that was and that encouragement of really knowing that this is all about coming together and creating a world of beauty and love and service to each other and just growth. I was just really excited to of get an affirmation of that and knowing that this podcast and all of us coming together is just 
on the right path. So I was really excited about that. And I hope you enjoyed the rest of the podcast too. I could relate to a lot of things that Arana was talking about, especially the 12-step program. That was something that I actually did as well for similar reasons. And we didn't really get into it just because of time constraints, but it was really cool to talk to someone that had similar experiences as I have and has come so far and now has this opportunity to teach other people. So thank you for listening. And I encourage you to share this podcast with your friends. Please share it with a loved one, a sister, a friend. Please share this with somebody who loves yoga or somebody who's looking for a way to create new rituals or who might be interested in the moon deck. All the links are in the show notes. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't yet. Please give it a rating. That would be awesome. It would be a great way to get more amazing guests on the show. I have so many cool episodes coming up in the coming months. I've already recorded some amazing interviews. I can't wait to share them with you. And I hope you have a beautiful week. Thank you so much for joining me.